You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 49, Eastern and Western Thinking. Today we're talking to Dr. Richard Nisbet, one of the world's most accomplished social psychologists and author of the book Thinking, a memoir published on Acora Books. Welcome, Dr. Nisbet. Hi. So let's uh, start with talking a bit about the differences in how Eastern and Western cultures think. How did you get started with this research? Well, it's an interesting story. In 1982, I went to China to give uh, lectures at Beijing University. And I spent a great deal of time doing homework, reading about Chinese history and intellectual history and so on. And it was very interesting. The most interesting thing to me was that there was clearly a completely different understanding of the relationship between the individual and society. In Chinese history, the individual is very much subordinate to the society as a whole, quite unlike the U.S., or in other Western countries with our individualism. They actually meeting Chinese people um, didn't lead me to understand that there were any important differences in the mentality or personality or anything else between Chinese and Americans. I felt like I understood them on the same terms that they understood me. So that was kind of lulled into thinking <laughs> that <laughs> we're all the same. And I, I'm, I was always a fervent universalist. But there was a brilliant student there at the time who could barely speak English, but he made it clear to me he was really, really smart. And years later, he came to uh, Michigan to study with me. And after we had been working together for a while, he said, you know, uh, Dick, you and I think in very different ways. And I said, oh, really? Tell me more. <laughs> um, and then he's skeptical, started, probably, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So he tells me uh, an abbreviated version of the following. He says, you know, you think in a very logical way. You focus on something that you want to achieve in your world. Uh, you categorize it. You apply the rules that uh, pertain to the, that category. I, on the other hand, and other Chinese, and as it turns out, other East Asians in general, see the world holistically. We don't try to be terribly logical about things. We see relationships uh, and similarities which uh, would escape you <laughs> as a Westerner. So I said, well, oh, that's fascinating. Uh, not believing him really for a minute. Uh, I mean, but thinking that, yeah, oh, I'm sure there's something to that. I'm sure there's something to that. So I said, let's test it. And we started doing research and it, it turned out to be um, remarkable. I mean, the extent to which the two mentalities are different is just astonishing. It's interesting that it doesn't come across with casual interaction. I also lived for a year and a half in China, and I didn't come away with a strong... I mean, of course, I, I, I sensed it was a different culture, but like it, in terms of cognitive science, I didn't get a strong feeling that there was a huge difference. It's not obvious just with chatting with people. No, it isn't. It, it's strange why such huge differences don't really reveal themselves in ordinary interaction. We understand one another in terms of personality quite well. I mean, uh, the coordinates in which East Asians and Westerners 
differ from one another. That is, Easterners from Easterners and Westerners from Westerners. Those coordinates work perfectly well crossing boundaries. So the personality differences are, they don't seem to be large at all. So this uh, reference to holistic thinking versus what would you, individualistic? How, what would the opposite of holistic thinking be? Analytic is what Analytic? Is, right. So, so what's, a, what's an everyday example where uh, an East Asian might view things differently from a Westerner? Well, let's, I'm going to key on that word view because our most astonishing results are for visual perception. If you show, well, these original studies were done with Japanese. And by the way, when I talk about East Asians, I mean, of course, they differ from, those cultures differ from one another. Enormously, Japanese cultures utterly different from Chinese. But with respect to the kinds of things I'm talking about, it's East Asians as a whole, the generalizations work versus Westerners as a whole. So in one early study, we showed Japanese and American uh, participants underwater scenes, which lasted for 20 seconds. And then we stopped the scene and we said, say, tell me what you saw. The Americans say, well, I saw three big fish swimming off to the left. Uh, they had fins on their backs and on their bellies, and uh, they had pink stipples uh, kind of on their on their stomachs. And there were rocks and shells on the bottom and so on. The Japanese virtually never start with these describing the most salient parts. They, they describe the context. They say, well, I saw what looked like a stream. Uh, the water was green. Uh, there were rocks and shells on the bottom. There were three big fish swimming off to the left. And the two uh, national groups report about the same amount of information about the most salient objects, those three big fish or whatever. But the Japanese pick up 60% more information about the context and twice as much information about relationships, like the frog was on the plant. And I mean, you don't get results as strong as this in the social sciences. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, statistical significance. I mean, this is you don't even you don't have to use statistical tests on this. The differences are so huge. And in general, Asians are picking up much more about both the physical environment and the social environment than Westerners are. They just see a tremendous amount mm -hmm. more. Hanging out with East Asians as much as I have for the last 20 years, I've begun to imitate them a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I start paying attention to my context more, and I, and I, and really, things happen in social situations that just go right over the heads of ordinary Westerners, certainly me. And if you start really paying attention, how, how does everybody in the room feel about this? I mean, there's a huge amount of information that we just let wash over us, don't pay attention. They're picking it up. Yeah, you know, I read... Um... Joe Henrik's book, uh, The Weirdest People in the World, recently. Um, and he was talking about how uh, sometimes the cultural differences that you find in studies are actually lower 
than what they should be because people are testing university students who are more and more <clears throat> being trained in a Western uh, tradition and right. being sort of reinculturated or being enculturated into the Western way of thinking no matter where they are on earth. Right. I mean, it's we're creating a, a new category of person with the, with Western education, East Asians coming to the U.S. and learning about uh, Western cultures. One of the <laughs> this study I just told you about with uh, the underwater scenes, uh, this was done with a Japanese student, now a professor in Canada named Takahisho, Takahiko Masuda. And he said, you know, of course, this is very early in our acquaintance. He said, Easterners pick up a lot more about context, visual context, than Americans do. That struck me as unlikely. And I said, well, God, that's fascinating. Let's test that. He said, well, everybody knows that. I said, Taka, everybody does not know that. Uh, <laughs> so, in psychology, you have to test it anyway, <laughs> even if people, everybody knows it. That's right. That's right. I'm his professor, so of course he's, I'm, I tell him to test it. Okay, boss, I'll test it. So the category of person is somebody raised in an East Asian culture and having that whole panoply of skills, cognitive skills that East Asians have, but completely understanding Western ways of thinking at the same time. And by the way, in the one study we did, this is uh, everything I tell you today <laughs> will be, uh, you know, fact that I would stand by with confidence. But the one attempt that we made to see how long, how soon do you have to begin to pick up Western culture and how long do you have to be in it before you begin to oh, right. have essentially Western ways of thinking. So we did a study. Uh, looking at people in the Silicon Valley area who had immigrated to this country at ages ranging from infancy to like age 20, who had lived here you know, for varying amounts of time, coming at different ages. And uh, what we and we thought, oh well, we will find it. And so, you know, if, if do you have to be here by the age of ten to be significantly shifted in a Western direction of perception and cognition? And it turned out that all of our <laughs> subjects in general had completely shifted. I mean, because they had all been here for at least ten years, and uh, they came at different uh, ages, but they were indistinguishable from University of Michigan students. Very on, interesting. On the tests that we used. Now, if we'd looked at people in Chinatown in New York, would we have gotten that? I, I can't imagine that we would have. But I mean, Silicon Valley, people there are highly educated. They're, it's uh, a very diverse community. You're constantly throwing people with different cultures. So they get acculturated much more rapidly there than they would if they were in some, you know, other American environment. So at any rate, uh, but there, but there's a lot, millions of people and increasingly more all the time who've been exposed to both kinds of cultures and who are, if you look at Americans with very, very uh, tests that we've looked at, who are East Asian in background versus Western. For some of our tests, the East Asians are indistinguishable from native born 
culture, acculturated Western type Americans for some things that they look just just like East Asians. I mean, just like East Asians living in East Asia. And I don't have any good generalizations about which kinds of 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 skills are, are the ones that are going to be shifted heavily in a Western direction, and which kinds uh, are going to remain East Asian in character. Well, let's talk about um, let's start with logical thinking. You say in your book, there's something particularly Western about the logical approach to thought. So this is more than just visual perception here. What what is it about logic and the Western mind? Well, we, we care about logic more than, than than most people realize. I think we we actually have a very clear logical structure in our minds, and it which is modus ponens, that is, if P, then Q, means that if P is the case, then Q is the case. I mean, that's just wired in to the, to the thinking apparatus of, of modern Western people. I mean, pre-modern people don't have that. I mean, uh, there's a wonderful study by a Russian psychologist done with peasants who had had no education at all, and he would say things to them like, uh, as you know, all bears in the north are white. And a little later, he says, hey, you know, I got a, I got a letter from a friend of mine who lives in the north. And, and he told me that recently he, he had seen a bear. Now, what color do you suppose it was? And for... Americans, for God's sake, I mean, you just told me and they're all white and they'll say, well, how should I know? Ask your friend who told you about the bear. I couldn't <laughs> know. what. It was. And to us, that's that's stupefyingly stupid. Um, but uh, the same was true of of Westerners until you get, begin to get formal education and in formal education. There's you, you just over and over again, you see if P, then Q, P, therefore Q. But that's not so well grounded, even among highly educated East Asians, that particular form. So if you, and the same thing is true of of, uh, of syllogisms. If you tell an American, you know, all birds have a momentum, that's a made up thing. OK. And. uh then you later ask them, how plausible, how likely is it to you that robins uh, have an omitum? And they say, oh, gosh, of course they do. But if you say, um, how likely is it that penguins have an omentum? They'll hesitate a bit. Well, well, I guess they do because all birds do. Koreans may just say, no, I, they find it implausible. Robin's okay. They got a momentum, but if it's this very atypical member of the category, they're just, they're, they don't readily say, apply this generalization that they're forced. If P then Q, you tell me a P, it's going to be a Q. That's just not a part of the way they automatically think. So it sounds like maybe we could characterize it as Westerns have very rigid set boundaries in their heads. And if something is see either something is or isn't a bird and everything that's bird-like is applies to everything in the set. And it sounds like with the Koreans, it's much more, but when you get closer to a fuzzy boundary, uh, the bets are off kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the categorization itself is something that differs a great deal. Westerners are constantly categorizing things. Um, 
I mean, the, the study that we've done, actually, the original study here was done. It was the, the first east-west cognitive difference study ever done was by a Chinese-American psychologist who would show Chinese kids and American kids three pictures, say a cow, uh, grass, uh, and a monkey, and ask the kid, which two of these go together? Right. Americans say, well, you know, the, the cow and the monkey cut, because they're both animals. The East Asian says, well, the cow and the grass, because the cow eats the grass. So the world is seen in terms of categories. By the Westerners, it's seen in terms of relationships by the mm, Easterners. Very interesting. And I, I read in your book that logic is not only less prominent in Eastern cultures, but sometimes viewed negatively. Like they, they know what it is. They, they just don't like it as much. <laughs> exactly. When, when the conversation said, let's, let's strip the context away from this thing and look at just the propositions in an abstract sense, the East Asians, they know what you're doing, but I mean, it seems childish to them, uh, foolish to strip away the context. And that's just, I mean, the law in East Asia is much more flexible in the sense that it, it, it pays attention to context. I mean, we strip the context. You did X, X is illegal, you're going to jail. The East Asian, well, you did X, but if you look at the context, you know, it's, uh, it's understandable. Most people would have done that and there might not be punishment. Right. So in the West, the law is written often quite clearly, and then the discretion comes through the judge, right? Um, but are you, are you saying that the laws themselves are a little more context-based? You know, I'm not so sure. I'd have to think about that for, for a minute. Certainly application of the law, much more attentive to context. Whether the law themselves are written in a context, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Right. My wife's a lawyer. That's the only reason I mentioned it. So <laughs> she was always, you know, the, the context comes up in the trial, right? Or the, right, sure. the hearing. Um, right. But but of course, the law is written by, oh, you know, um, it, you have to, if you have these criteria, then it, you know, uh, whether to prosecute or not uh, is a judgment call. But yeah, that's interesting. We, now we you saw, we just saw <clears throat> a national demonstration of this difference. And oh, yeah? The, yeah. Well, in uh, the, uh, Judge Jackson's uh, hearing, mm -hmm. uh, there was, she didn't apply the law to its maximum in a lot of child pornography viewing cases. And mm -hmm. the Republicans tore after, I mean, you know, the guy was looking at those pictures, he's gone to jail. And she said, well, you know, it's an 18 year old kid you're talking about who didn't really know what he was stumbling on. To, and, <clears throat> no, no, no. She's she's a um, soft, soft on the law judge because according to the hated, yeah, according to the Republicans. Right. So so we're okay. So we've got these results, okay. And then uh we've got this theory that it's because they've got a culture that thinks differently, but you also have a kind of a historical and geographical explanation for this, right? Right. Yeah, I think ultimately the differences are economic. China, uh, which is the origin of all East Asian cultures, uh, 
And Confucianism is that is woven into the mentality of all Eastern uh, Asian cultures, as well as the uh, Southeastern Asian cultures. But uh, China is very well suited to plantation uh, agriculture, large fields, level irrigation, plentiful sources of irrigation. So uh, it's um, uh, basically plantation style agriculture, which requires Co- cooperation among people in order to be effective. Okay, uh, and and action in general in the East is dependent on your relations with other people, um, it's because cooperation is the way that things get done. In Greece, where Western culture originates, plantation agriculture really isn't possible for the most part. Uh, Greece is mountains descending to the sea, and the occupations that you have are fishing, uh, trading, kitchen gardens, herding of animals. And these are relatively uh, isolated, asocial uh, kinds of occupations that don't require strong coordination with other people for the most part. Now, logic developed in, uh, in uh, Greece then the story goes and <laughs> that Aristotle got tired of hearing lousy arguments uh, in the marketplace and <laughs> in the political assembly. So he said, look, can we agree if your argument has this structure, it's a lousy argument. <laughs> and that's to a remarkable extent of the basis of Western thought. I mean, get rid of the context. What's the structure of the argument? Does it make sense? And this is just not the way the the whole goal of Eastern culture is to have smooth interaction. I mean, the word harmony is, it's just, you hear it all the time in all kinds of contexts in East Asia. And it means getting along with other people. An anecdote will show the difference between the Western mentality in this respect and the Eastern mentality a Japanese friend of mine who's lived a lot in the U.S. and likes a lot of the aspects of U.S. culture and had a lot of Japanese friends. And all of them realized they love the tradition of the American dinner party uh, from the martinis to apple pie, you know, the discussion that goes on. So they were all back in Japan at one point. They said, let's have an American dinner party. <laughs> and it was... Okay. A, a total failure because the 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 grease, as it were, of the American dinner party is opinion. Did you see um, Power of the Dog? Yeah, I hated it. Really, I I loved. It. In Japan, you can't do that. Did you you saw the Power of the Dog? I, I liked it, but if I said that and you didn't like it, you know, then where would we be? <laughs> no disharmony right disharmony i mean disagreement oh my god another martini quick um so um so they would they build the conversation more about uh, uh finding points of consensus and yeah probably i don't know i've never been to a japanese <laughs> occasion like um, yeah so what's interesting right like because we have um you know, in other work I know has shown that herding cultures uh, have a more individualistic social attitude. 
um, for for what and they give a, a similar reason. It's interesting that it, tr- it it carries over into basic perception and right. thinking as well. But um, and I normally would be a little skeptical of your explanation, but you've done what uh, almost like a oh, not a quite a controlled study, but you know you found it in um, a Turkish a Turkish study, right, where you took people who had different of these geographical conditions but we're from the same basic culture and found differences too. You want to tell me about that? Yeah. Well, actually um, it was all people all in the same town. Oh, the same town. Wow. In the same town. And there were three main occupations. Uh, One was herding. The other was fishing on the open sea with, you know, crews, fishing crews. And the other was farming. And, uh, we actually did a version of uh, this uh, cow, grass, monkey study and a couple of other uh, of our cognitive studies looking at these three groups. Well, the farmers and the fishers have to, their whole effectiveness is dependent on ever other what other people are doing. I've got to be doing the right thing while you're doing your right thing or it's just not going to work out. The herds people. It's just me and the herd. (laughs) They don't have to do any interaction. So sure enough, the farmers and the, and the fishers are holistic. They, they look at, they see relationships where the herders see categories. Now that's just one study, but then the next study in this series, I was not involved in this, but somebody looked at North China versus South China. And there's a difference between the the the, uh, the way you earn your living farming in the north it's mostly wheat which is you know like um, I maybe mean, the American farm is you know it's just the farmer I mean and his family so it's it's not highly dependent uh, on other people but the south is mostly rice and rice agriculture is extremely dependent on other people. You have to coordinate the irrigation system. You have to coordinate your planting at the same time with other people who are doing, you know, all all together on everybody's property, et cetera. And sure enough, North Chinese are more analytic and Southern Chinese are more holistic, um, more more concerned with relationships, less concerned with categories, and so on. So, uh, so yeah, I think we have, you know, historical hypotheses are so hard to, to prove one way or another. But I have another geographical point uh, or cultural difference point. I mean, Greeks to this day, are argumentative. I mean, that's not the point. Um, I have a friend who's... Are they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he says, here's a, here's a typical Greek event. You're at dinner with his wife's family. He is, himself is, um, I don't know, Anglo-American. She is Greek-American. And you say, would you please pass the salt? He says, this food doesn't need salt. So I, I would like some salt. No, no, no. It's Salt is bad for your health. I, please pass the salt. You know, look, it, it will wreck the taste of this if you had to. <laughs> so, ten minutes later, the guy still hasn't got the salt because there's a whole battle about whether, whether salt, you should be having salt. No, that's one. So 
the the disagreement, the 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 comfort with disagreement is characteristic. And that culture gave us logic. So I I recently had occasion to encounter Indian Americans, Indians and Indian Americans. And they're highly argumentative. I mean, in fact, there's a book by a Nobel Prize winner uh, from India called The Argumentative Indian. And then there's one yet another culture in the world that does argument for thousands of years. It's, it's the Jewish culture, especially the, the rabbinical tradition. I mean, the, you know, they where you just sit around all day and argue about something. I mean, uh, and all three of those cultures, you know, continue that. And there are South Asians in general are argumentative and they are highly, highly successful in the West. The, you know, the concept of a unicorn, that's the billion dollar startup. In uh, the U.S., there have been 90 startups by Indians. The next closest is Israel. And there is no third place. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, it's, it's just, it's really massive differences and like I mean and you think about it, and we now know that um CEOs South Asians are more likely to be CEOs of American corporations than native born Americans. Wow American culture. Uh East Asians are much less likely to be CEOs uh of American cult- cultures and of American companies. So argumentation and a certain kind of effective effectiveness of sort of putting yourself out there, assertiveness mm-hmm. is char- very characteristic of Jewish culture, of Indian culture, and of American culture relative to at least to East Asian culture. Okay. So let's talk, let's bring about it back to science. I'm interested in the origin of science, uh, which of course had its origins in the West, but it doesn't seem obvious to me that science benefits more from ignoring relationships <laughs> between things. So do you have anything to say about how or if the Western, this Western way of thinking was particularly conducive to the invention of science? Well, the world, it's just, the world is just, anic, just one anecdote after another, unless you get systematic about it. And how do you get systematic? Well, you categorize things and you figure out what rules apply to them. And if that's the way you're thinking, you can you can be a scientist. If that, if that's alien to you, then you're you're not going to have science. I mean, there's the, the the wonderful fact that the Chinese understood metaphysics much better than the Greeks did. They understood, for example, the uh, gravity. Uh, they understood uh, acoustics. They understood uh, magnetism. All of these have to do with relationships. And these things were not understood in the West until science discovered them. But they didn't have, despite the fact that they had very superior metaphysics uh, to the Greeks, they didn't invent science. Uh, They didn't do experiments. And it's because science just is categories and rules. That's 
That's and strip the- and stripping context. Yes, and stripping context. What right. is irrelevant to what's going on here? Let's get a, let's just keep throwing away context until we get right. It, it seems like the ulti- the uh, extreme of that is like a physics equation, like F equals m a. It's like for, well, force of what? Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. And that's right. Now that now after this conversation, it sounds like that's a very distinctively Western way to approach right uh, thinking about stuff. Both are, of course, there's great power of both. I mean, paying attention to as broad context as you can is is the right way to solve some kinds of problems. Throwing away the context is the right way to solve other kinds of problems. Yeah, it, it sounds like that kind of thinking would be, you know, very good for domains in which the interactions between the parts are really prominent, like ecology, right? Versus anatomy, for example, right? You know, anatomy, maybe you can get away with right. <laughs> focusing on just an object and its parts and its traits. But, you know, in, in ecology, it's all about the relationship. So uh, it's uh, interesting to think about how the... Um, Eastern mindset could contribute to scientific uh, hypotheses and theories and that kind of thing. Right. There, there are a lot, well, some nice examples of how science looks at different questions and gets answers across cultures. The uh, chimpanzee politics was a discovery of a Japan of the Japanese. Uh, oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Westerners could only see a dyad, this this chimp and that chimp, this chimp and that chimp. <laughs> okay, here's what's going on in this in this society. You know, here's you know, and they see the groups and the interactions and the. I mean, it's it, so they you know, the Western mind's terrific in lots of ways, but it it, it took. The Eastern mind to see what was going on with it with the chimp chimpanzee culture. If I had, if I had a, a big family, I would and needed family therapy. I might try to choose an East Asian therapist. <laughs> It'd be the only one who could figure it out. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, you can read Richard Nisbet's uh, book, Thinking a Memoir, which has uh, stuff about what we've been talking about here, but also many other things. Plus the uh, very interesting story of his life, and uh, I particularly appreciated learning about how uh, psychology used to be done. And uh, and I thought that was very interesting the way you navigated all of that. It was published by Acora Books in 2021. And we'll put a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Nisbet. Thank you. Minding the Brain is edited by me, Mike Contos, and is brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University. If you want to support Minding the Brain, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice, as it will help make our podcast more visible to potential listeners. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Minding the Brain. Minding the Brain is currently looking for sponsors. If your company is interested, please email us at mindingthebrainpodcast at gmail.com. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com. (laughs) 